Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his son, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hands the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Thank you. Taylor, it's great to have the scripture readers, and it's great to have uh, not a youth, she's a college student now, uh, read scripture from Genesis 22 today. You know, it's neat to think that as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a follower of Jesus, you know, we are kind of bound together with Jesus. We have, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We are glued together with the Holy Spirit. And I thought of this great illustration um, just a few minutes ago, actually, about this. I've been doing some plumbing lately, and hopefully I'm done for now. Um, but you never know. You know, about 11 and a half years ago, I was 30, 25 years old, and we bought a house for the first time. And so my dad was down helping us redo most of the plumbing in the house. And at one point, you know, we glued the pipe together. You put down the purple solvent stuff, and then you put the glue stuff on top of it, and then you put the pipe together, the PVC or CPVC and there was something wrong, and I said, well, Dad, we need to take it apart again. How do we take it apart? And he said, uh, no, you can't take it apart again. Once that's together, you don't, you got to cut the pipe and, and redo it. And I just thought about that. I wish I would have some with me. In the Christian life, Jesus is not letting go of you. <laughs> you know, when you commit your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you surrender, you believe in him, you commit to him. You're glued together like that PVC, CPVC pipe. You have to cut the pipe. He's not letting go of you. And I encourage you to cling to that relationship with Jesus. Well, now they have something called PEX pipe. It's called P-E-X. Did I get that right? And they sell it at Lowe's called Shark Bite. It's just like it except without the glue, which is better. Because I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes that pipe glue doesn't let go of your skin either if you get it on your skin. Um, but the PEX pipe, you just stick it together. 
and it is kind of, it's like a shark bite. It just connects. You hear it click, and it's not coming apart without a special tool. So about three weeks ago, I was doing some things, and as always, it was right before Lowe's closed that I started the job. So I go to Lowe's, and I get what I needed, and I was talking to my brother, because he used to flip houses, crazy as it may be, and he said, oh, yeah, you need to get this shark bite stuff. It's way better than the PVC, CPVC, copper stuff. And so I got all the stuff, and I come home, and I'm like, this stuff's not connecting. I had the wrong parts, but I did get one to connect to my PVC, but I couldn't get it to come apart. So it sat there in my garage with a 10-feet piece of pipe till yesterday when I finally got the right tool, and it came apart. So the point of that sermon intro illustration, so to speak, we want to be that close with Jesus, you know? I like the PVC, CPVC, pipe glue illustration. We are glued together with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He's not letting go of you. He's not letting go of you. And, you know, you have to cut the pipe if you want to sever the relationship with him. And why would we want to do that? Why would we want to put a void in the relationship with our creator? Why would we want to put a disconnect in that relationship, being connected with the Lord of lords and God of gods. He has communicated with us. All throughout the Old Testament, God communicated with us. From Genesis 3.15 to what we come to today in Genesis 22, he's communicated with us. And I don't believe in coincidences. We'll come back to this, but there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus as the Messiah. Over 300 prophecies. I do not believe in coincidences. Many of you may remember the former NFL player, Tim Tebow. He was an outspoken Christian, and he came away with many surprising wins. In fact, I thought the Browns should have picked him up a few years ago, and maybe they would have been better off if they would have. No more jokes about the Browns today. But Tim Tebow, I read this. This was about a year or so ago. Tim Tebow had appeared on Harry Connick Jr.'s show called Harry. And he appeared to discuss his new book and his baseball career and more. One part of the conversation that stood out was when Connick Jr. asked Tim Tebow to explain the incredible thing that happens immediately after, sorry, that happened immediately after he led the Broncos to an upset victory over the Steelers back in the 2012 playoffs. For the game, Tebow decided to paint the Bible verse, John 3.16, under his eyes. Exactly the same way he did three years prior for the national championship game. On that day, January 8, 2009, an insane amount of people, get this, 94 million people Googled the verse, John 3.16, and Tebow's Gators won the game. Fast forward to the upset victory over the Steelers in 2012, which ended on a Tebow touchdown pass. An ecstatic Tebow was celebrating with his teammates in the locker room and preparing to speak with the press when the Broncos PR guy approached him almost too giddy to speak. He said, Timmy, do you realize what happened? Yeah, he said, we just beat the Steelers and we're going to play the Patriots. No, I don't think you realize what just happened. 
It is exactly three years later from when you wore John 3.16 under your eyes. During the game, you threw for 316 yards per rush. No, he threw for 316 yards. His yards per rush were 3.16. Yards per catch, 31.6. The ratings for the game was 31.6. And the time of possession was 31.6. During the game, 90 million people Googled John 3.16. And once again, it was a number one trending item on Facebook and Twitter. Tebow summed up the incredible imagery with numbers like this. A lot of people said it was a coincidence. I say big God. No coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences. And I like John 3.16 under eye makeup better than Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 has been called the Superman verse because people like to apply it to every football game and basketball game. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in context, Philippians 4.13 seems to be more about Paul being able to be in prison under a Roman guard as a Christian. But the Babylon Bee, which is a Christian satire site, recently ran an article that evidence shows that Philippians 4.13 was penned right after the Apostle Paul narrowly won a church softball game. It was a narrow victory, and so he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Of course, that's just pun. I don't believe in coincidences. In the birth of Christ, we see a big God. No coincidences. So the date is now December 10th, and I wonder how your Christmas plans are coming. Any of you have a Christmas tree up? Raise your hand. Good. I see some people are awake. Anybody have two trees up? We see people with two. Yeah. Anybody have three trees up? Oh, wow. That's really cool. Anybody have like four or five? No? Okay. Anybody set up Christmas lights? Okay, we got some lights set up. We have some lights set up. I love that. I love Christmas lights. I love the festive season. I love the, the Christmas season. And I wonder, do you ever look up at the stars at night? You know, I used to like to run. I still do, but not as much. And in Alliance, I could run like towards Alliance and up and down these streets, running Head, heading towards State Street, which is US 62, and when I was heading towards that way, I couldn't see much looking up in the sky because you had the lights of State Street and the lights of, you know, the big, big, big city of Alliance. And then I would turn around and head towards the country, back towards my house, and I loved running at night and early in the morning because I could just look up at the stars. How often do we just look up at the stars? Some 250 trillion galaxies out there that we can't even see. And God hung them in the sky to give us light. You know, and electric lighting has just revolutionized culture. We don't need the starlight as much anymore, do we? We don't need the moonlight as much anymore, do we? Because we have headlights and flashlights and iPhone lights and all that stuff. We, have, we can do stuff inside. I once saw a TV show on the History Channel International about night and times past, and it said we have to get to just about the middle of the Atlantic Ocean to get totally away from light pollution. The middle of the Atlantic Ocean to get totally away from the light pollution. We need light, though. We need light. 
And the Bible, you know, calls Jesus the light of the world, symbolically. We need Jesus. We need light. If we didn't need light, the light bulb would have just been another unimportant invention. But we need light. We need light, and God provided light from the beginning. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Later, God created the sun, moon, and stars. But that is not the only light which we needed and that we need. We needed salvation. We needed a sacrifice. God sent the light of the world. God sent his own son as a sacrifice for our sins. He was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Singer Michael Card wrote a song called The Promise. He wrote a little Christmas devotional on this theme, and it says this, Christianity is founded on a promise. Faith involves waiting on a promise. Our hope is based on a promise. Promises are made with words. That part of myself that goes with every promise is given to you through my words. Get that. Words. Our God is a great maker of promises. His word, our Bible, is a collection of the promises. Most of these concern Jesus, who came to be known as the promised one. Jesus, the promised one. Through all these promises, God was trying to give something of himself to Adam and to Israel and finally to us. The Bible tells us that when the promised one came, the Lord poured all of himself unto him. What a costly thing it could be to make a promise. It cost Jesus his life. We already read Genesis 22, 1 through 14. I want to take a few thoughts about this. The theme is God provides a sacrifice. The Lord provides. The Lord provides a sacrifice for them. The Lord provides a sacrifice for us. Let's overview this narrative. In verse 1 of Genesis 22, 1 through 14, in verse 1, you'll see it says, now, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Notice that Abraham had no hesitation. When God communicated to Abraham, God listened and God responded. Do you respond when God speaks to you through the Bible or through a Christian brother or sister or through prayer? Abraham said, here I am. Verse 2. In verse 2, God is giving Abraham instructions as to what to do. Notice how specific these instructions are. Notice the repetition. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, sacrifice him as a burnt offering. This is Abraham's son. This is Abraham's only son. This is his son whom he loves. This is the child of the prophecies. The child of the promise, at least at that point. Realize that Abraham had another son. His name was Ishmael. Ishmael, Abraham had sent away. He was not the son of promise. He was not the son by Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was the son by Abraham and Sarah. This was Abraham's only son, and he loves him. Yet God tells him to sacrifice him. What was this like for Abraham? What were his motions like? You know, what, whatever it was like for Abraham, God did this with his son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. God gave his son. 
Notice that Jesus, God's only begotten son, is the son of promise. Isaac was the son of promise to Abraham. By Isaac, all the world will be blessed. The lineage goes on to Jesus, and in him, through Jesus' death and resurrection, all the world will be blessed. All the prophecies reach their fulfillment in Jesus. Verse 3, the next verse says that Abraham got up early in the morning and he began his trip to obey God. I heard someone say, I wonder if he told Sarah. I, I'm guessing he just told Sarah, we're going out for a bit. You know, we'll be back in three days. If he told Sarah, I'm going out to sacrifice your son, I think Sarah might have sacrificed Abraham right there on the altar. I don't think so. And it's not a bad thing. Sarah loved Isaac. God, uh, Sarah loved Isaac. Abraham loved Isaac. God loved Isaac. God knew the plan. God told Abraham, go take your son. Abraham leaves. Verse 5 shows that this is about worship. Get this. And it was pointed out to me through uh, Tim yesterday, which heard it through David Jeremiah, that this is the second time worship is used in Scripture. The second time that word is used in Scripture. The first time is in Genesis 18. Second time. So they, they go to worship. There were two servants with them, and Abram has the servants wait. Abram says that they will worship and they will return. Get that. He says they will worship and they will return. Now there's two things that are really interesting there. One is this is about worship. Two is they will return. They will return. It was Chuck Swindoll that I first heard point out to me that Abram likely thought Isaac was going to be resurrected. Isaac said, we will return. Now, it could be the, the idea, uh, that it, there could be other thoughts there. Maybe Abraham thought that Isaac was a child of promise, and so God would raise him up again. Maybe he thought his son Isaac was the Messiah. They were waiting on a Messiah back then as well. Maybe, maybe he just said, we will worship and we will return, because he did not want the servants to follow him. There are a few variables here. I like to think that he thought Isaac was the son of promise. Abram had great faith. They were waiting on a son of promise. They have the wood. They have the fire. They have the knife. They're going up to make the sacrifice. By the way, they're going up to make the sacrifice to the same way, the same place, the same place where the temple would be built later on. They're going up to make the sacrifice in Jerusalem, the same place as the temple. Get this, Isaac is carrying the wood. Isaac is carrying the wood. You know that in John 19, 17, it says that Jesus carried his own cross? Jesus carried his own cross. By the way, Isaac is not a young child. He's likely an adult. Josephus, a Jewish historian, thought that Isaac was as old as 25 years old, though we never think of him that way. So in verse 8, Abraham says that God will provide the lamb. He says God will provide the lamb. Abraham had strong faith. God will provide. We look at this today and we're looking back and we see that God provided Jesus, our eternal lamb. By the way, Abraham said God would provide the lamb because Isaac, Isaac, knowing what you need for a sacrifice, Isaac said, we have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife. Where's the... Where's the animal? Where's the offering? Isaac knew what it needed. Isaac knew what they needed. God would provide. And God did provide. 
Abraham places his son on the altar. He pulls the knife, and he's about to kill him when an angel interrupts him. The angel may have been a normal angel, or he might have been an appearance of God the Father in the Old Testament, what's called a theophany, or the angel might have been what's called a Christophany, which is an appearance of Jesus in human form in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord stops Abraham. And Abraham is stopped, and then they see a ram caught in the bushes by his horn. God provided the sacrifice for Abraham. God provides the sacrifice for us, and the sacrifice is his own son. Just a few more verses here. I think I have them on the screen. John 1.36. John the baptizer says, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 John 4.9 and John 3.16 both talk about God sending his only begotten son. Isaiah 53.7. Jesus is like a lamb to the slaughter. All these prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 14, Abraham calls the place the Lord provides. The Lord provides. Abraham needed a sacrifice. God gave him the sacrifice. But the sacrifice for Abraham was foreshadowing the sacrifice for the rest of the world. Truly, through Abraham, all the world would be blessed. And close to 2,000 years later, a descendant of Abraham would be born and raised. He'd be just over 25 years old at the age of 33 years old. He'd be God's son, and he would carry his own cross. And this time, the angel would not stop the death. This time, the angel would not stop the death. This time, he would die. He would die as our sacrifice. God provided the light, but praise God, he did not stay in the grave. He became the first fruits of the resurrection. And that's the 1 Corinthians 15 passage. Our Lord provides. Amen? Jehovah Jireh is how that name is translated. You know, I, I'm going to pull out my iPhone because someone emailed me this article, which I'd heard of but hadn't read it in a while. You know, all these Old Testament prophecies are, uh, are fulfilled in Jesus. And they always encourage my faith. Whenever I see the connection of all these prophecies, it is encouraging. And, you know, you could run the numbers, but statistically, nobody could write all these prophecies into a book and make them all fulfilled in one man, in Jesus. Let alone some 40 authors that wrote the Bible, some 39 or 40 authors who wrote the Bible, putting all these prophecies together. Here's the probability of all these prophecies. It says, imagine the state of Texas covered entirely with silver dollars, two feet thick. But only one of the coins is marked and then hidden somewhere among the other coins. Now imagine sending a blindfolded man, blindfolded man, to search throughout the coins until he thinks he's found the coin that is marked. What are the odds that he will find the correct coin? Some say he could never do that. Others say that he could only if the search was rigged somehow. Still others will say it's a ludicrous analogy and a waste of time to even think about it. But these are all the responses from individuals that do not understand the significance of faith. The answer, the answer is that he could find it. If even by chance, even though his chances are not good. In fact, his chances are one in some 100 trillion. I think that's how many zeros are listed here. It seems like impossible odds. 
But yet greater odds than this were overcome when Jesus Christ himself fulfilled more than 300 prophecies concerning himself. Jesus Christ himself fulfilled more than 300 prophecies. That's greater odds. That's greater odds than filling up the state of Texas with silver dollars, marking one, spinning them, mixing them around. They're two feet thick in silver dollars. One man is blindfolded, and he finds the one silver dollar. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. Jesus came that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is a devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. But not just to die, Jesus was born to be raised from the dead, Revelation 1.18. He is the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. When you believe in Jesus, though you die, yet shall you live. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was the dawn of death's destruction. It made possible the fast approaching time when he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. That's Isaiah 25, 8. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. Jesus came as the promised one. Have you accepted his free gift of eternal life? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Our Lord does provide Jehovah Jireh. Jesus did provide our sacrifice as well. Because the Bible teaches that God created us to be in a relationship with him. In our sins, they do separate us from God. God is holy. He's perfectly pure and holy. So sin is totally against him. Sin creates a barrier between us and God. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Life is eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you did... Send Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. That we can believe in him. Believe John 3.16. Believe John 14.6. Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God except by you. Jesus, if there are people here who have not trusted in you as Lord and as Savior. May today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when they believe in you. They confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. They commit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm seeing the closing game. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Hymn number 
going to give a closing prayer benediction, and following that, please be seated if you're able and stay for the business meeting if you can, or consider a ministry update meeting. We don't have those often. If you could stay, it'd be very nice. Lord Jesus, be with us as we meet here in a moment, and be with us as we leave after that. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite Tim up. Thank you.